0: Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories? This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. With a career inspired by watching Bewitched at the age of six, Beck Bridson's interest in the world of advertising started young. They may not sound like they're related, but Beck was interested in Samantha's husband, if you remember Samantha from Bewitched, in her husband's career, which was in advertising. Wanting to challenge the status quo as well as do work that is equal parts creative and analytic, working in advertising was a no brainer for Beck. But it hasn't always been easy. As a young female in the industry that has all the likes of mad men in its history, it Doesn't come without its challenges. Challenges that gave Beck the drive and the ambition to prove them wrong. At 29, Beck became the youngest female creative director in Australia's ad land after writing her own marketing plan for her career. In this episode, we unpack the world of advertising and Beck's passion the way that businesses and brands need to understand the female buyer. An industry that I feel a little bit guarded about because in the past advertising has played to women's insecurities of not being pretty enough, not being organised enough, of not being good enough. But Beck believes that now is the time for both genders to dial up the curiosity about who we really are. Finally, we also chat about how to navigate ambition and self care, something that Beck has learnt the importance of. In this episode, I'm mindful that we talk about the Me Too movement and the importance of women's agendas being spoken about in the public platform. If this brings up some frustrations or some angst as you tune in, make sure that you reach out to communities around you that are taking these issues forward. For in Australia, the Now movement is at the forefront of this work, so please reach out to them. Smart, thoughtful, and determined. Enjoy this chat with Beck Bridson. Bec, welcome to the studio.
1: Great to be here, Ali. Thank you.
0: There's so much that I want to jump in and and talk to you about the work that you do, about the things that you stand for. But I understand that you have two daughters, and two daughters that are at um, probably fairly busy, active, starting to grow into their own kind of human being kind of age. How much does having your daughters drive the work that you do around gender intelligence, particularly in advertising?
1: Um, it's it's probably my core motivation now once it was me and now I see it's for the next generation and um, I hear my girls pick things up that I would be talking around talking about in the home and uh, I I feel like I'm really impacting um, the way they see the world and some of the things that... Um, they see as unjust or that they're questioning and it gives me a lot of faith in the future and for things to be, um, things to be changing and, you know, there's a, there's a figure that uh, gender parity is 218 years away, but when I hear some of the things that come out of their mouth, I think, no, no, we're, we're going to get there sooner. (laughs) We're going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of things um, hearten you around? What what do you hear? Um... For example, my eldest daughter was um, covering the topic of women being able to drive in Saudi Arabia. I thought this is fantastic, you know, that they're having these conversations and she could give me all of the reasons why it was time that women could finally drive. Um, She recently had to do a, a STEM assignment and she chose Wi-Fi and she found that Hedy Lemur was one of the early inventors of Wi-Fi, even though a lot of um, the reports that we'd seen only referenced the men who had actually invented it or um, uncovered more revelations of Wi-Fi in, in the last you know, couple of decades. So... You know their inquiry and search to look at it. There's a there's a couple of books, um, Rebel Girls, and it's their favourite book. You know, and I think isn't that isn't that wonderful that they've got this stimulus to be able to expose them to think in a different way. For you
0: growing up, because it it probably was a slightly different world to what you're describing, um, and yet that that curiosity I'm sure was there as well. For you growing up um, and obviously then getting into advertising after you've been in it for over 25 years, I understand, what was the drive to get into advertising?
1: I, I say quite seriously that it was watching Bewitched <laughs> because that was when I first even knew that this um, business existed, this profession was there. And although I love Samantha's character, and I loved their perfect family with, you know, two children and a and a gorgeous wife who could make anything happen and materialise just by wiggling her nose. It was actually Darren's job that I was really interested in.
0: Wow. And from then
1: I <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write ads and I wanted to get into the industry. So that there was, you yeah. go. There's a side of a witch that
0: probably the producers had <laughs> not realise it would have an influence. Yes. So, can you even remember what it was that that sparked? What was the? It yes? was
1: the coming up with ideas, and and I know that Samantha often came in at the final moment when um, Darren had messed something up, and she would sort of randomly produce an idea or a solution that was that was then then taken on by the clients, and it was that thinking, that creative thinking of. Um, how you can communicate in a way that is really appealing and connects with customers and p- seeing that process happen, albeit magically on TV. Was, <laughs> and by the wiggle of a nose. <laughs> yes. That, that really got me thinking, well, you know, there's, there's something I'd be good at.
0: <laughs> what kind of age were you at when, you, when that kind of revelation? Were you still in school? It was around
1: grade, uh, sorry, um, age six. Age seven, around that age, and then I started getting really interested in advertising. And my mum will tell you that I would watch the ads and not the TV shows. You know, I'd be really quiet all during the ad, ad break, and then the show would come on and I'd start hassling everyone in the family for a conversation. So you know, <laughs> they started to see it a long time ago. Fascinating. It
0: was obviously a big part of that that curiosity. So <laughs> therefore, it was a was it a fate
1: complete that that's what you would do. Yeah, out of, out of high school, pretty much. Um, I started going to advertising agencies during university. Every time I had a um, a semester break, I'd go and do work experience, and I just knew each time that this was where I was going to be.
0: Massive drive. Now, I've read somewhere that you sat down and you wrote your own marketing plan for your career very early on. What was the impetus behind that?
1: Um, Once I got into my first or second paying job, I was looking at the dynamics within the organisation and I was really getting familiar with the concept of what our clients did, which was write marketing plans, so that their products could become more prominent or seen or you know um, more successful. And I thought, well, here I am sitting in this agency, and I'm a product. I'm, I'm something that that they're um, you know investing in. What do I need to do to make myself? the best possible product or employee that I can be, and I started applying the same thinking that marketers applied to their brands to myself. So I guess it was, you know, before we had a name for personal branding, I guess that's what I was doing.
0: Who am I? What do I stand for?
1: Yeah. What what do I need to do to improve? Um, What do I need to do to have relevant business conversations with my senior managers, What are they doing that I admire? What are they doing that I don't admire? Um, And, you know, if if I want to become, and I did want to become at that time a creative director, which was the top of, um, you know, the C-suite of the creative department, what are the skills and the traits that I would need to develop in order to get there? And I was impatient, so I had to get there fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I understand you did very, very fast. Yes, yeah, I did. With that document, was that something that drove you? Was it just kind of brain dumping the time or was it something that you referred back
1: to? It was, I guess it was a plan. I, I'd always been a five-year planner. So this was a 12-month plan. And yeah, I would check in all the time with that. Um, you know, I, I've I've never been satisfied with the status quo even my own status quo. So it's something that I'd be assessing all of the time, thinking what do I need to do next to be at the next step or how do I get, you know, how do I keep moving forward? So I guess it's something now that has become second nature as to, you know, the way I operate.
0: So actually looking at where am I at, where where do I need to go, where do you think that unrest around the status quo, wanting to wrestle that, where does that come from for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, i'm I'm not absolutely sure, and it's something I've been looking into recently. Um, there's a part of me that has always been dissatisfied with where I'm at and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And so I guess you could say I'm really tough on myself, and that drives this sort of um, self-analysis. Yeah
0: constantly on constantly, constantly yes. thinking <laughs> yeah. you're not alone in that either but that we some um, it can be pretty heavy right yeah sometimes
1: i do just want to check out but you know i'm i'm not very good at doing that <laughs> <laughs> so this
0: this document uh, obviously held you in pretty good stead because at the age of 23 i understand
1: you were Probably the youngest creative director in the ad. It was 29, actually. 29, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do it, I wanted to get there before I was 30. And um, yeah, as far as I know, the youngest female creative director um, in Australia. And at the time that I became a creative director, there were only 3% of female creative directors worldwide. So, you know there just there weren't many role models, and it was a a tough gig. Um, but I was determined that I could change that change that ratio of gender. Did you find that there were harder barriers to be able to get there because of that
0: uh, just that statistic that there weren't many female creative directors? Did you hit
1: up against that, or was it, just...? yeah, I hit up against it a lot. Um, and there were many times through my career that I thought that it was hopeless and that I wanted to give up. Um, there were lots of Weinstein moments in my career, you know, too many for me to bear thinking about, actually. But that's what I thought, if I can become the boss and I can change this. and um, and that's what i I was determined to do is is you know start to show our industry that women really have a place in it, and that we're valuable um, and and great leaders. Yeah. and obviously
0: you get a chance to kind of do that were you once you got there um, often we can look back and look at the the other people that we're leading or those that are coming up through the ranks did you get a sense that um, and it can be hard to recognize this but did you get a sense that you were a bit of a role model for those yeah I did
1: up? yeah and I hired more women um, than I think anyone had seen because I knew the value that they would bring um, and, and, and then, yeah, I, I was able to um, I think help them not encounter what you know, my journey had been and try to change some of the way that um, the, the industry, I guess, viewed junior creative people and teach them some of the things that had worked for me. Not saying that, that my um, journey was perfect, but like the business plan or the marketing plan, you know, giving them some, some tips and tricks about how to get career elevation through pretty much, you know, um, outworking, um, outlearning and becoming incredibly good at the craft.
0: And we're hearing more and more of these stories and, um, you know, I mean, you touched on having experienced some of those Harvey Weinstein type of moments and and wanting to change that for those kind of coming through and that's definitely at the forefront of some of the conversations around obviously the Me Too movement and, you know, what... um, I think it's the now movement here in Australia is really starting to to shift and change. Are these important conversations that we need to have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the the sad thing for me when the news broke, um, it was obviously a fantastic thing that we were having a Me Too revelation and about time. But the sadness in me was if I hadn't had the encounters I'd had, imagine who I could have been. Mm. And if I'd been given the same rites of passage as um, other women who hadn't encountered harassment or as men, then what might have become of me? Because it it did actually plague a lot of my confidence and a lot of my decision making, and the way I felt I was valued. In some ways, it made me, as I said, work harder and out learn, and outwork um, my my peers to prove that you know I wasn't I wasn't a pretty face here. I was someone who had a lot of a lot of contribution, a lot of smarts, um, a lot of insight that up until now hadn't been valued because they were coming from females. And in my industry, most of the females had been in you know, the typing pool from decades gone by, or were the support staff, or were um, client relationship managers. So uh, yeah, I was, I was really um, proving that women could Bring a lot more value when they were treated with respect and and with the same level of integrity that the men were.
0: And I can totally understand and hear in your voice that that it's almost that grief for what if what you know what what could have been possible if I hadn't yeah. had that um, crisis of confidence and and the the circumstances that had happened. Yeah. Um, where yeah, some of that's obviously driven the determination. Mm. Um, but also could there have been another
1: way? Could there have been way? a different way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With less,
0: less, yeah. And it was the reason
1: that I started my agency because I, I just didn't want the politics of gender to come into my workplace anymore. I just wanted to be able to do great work for my clients. So ultimately I decided, well you know, I'm going to um, create the kind of agency that I see will serve the future and that recognises the value of women, not just as a workforce, but as a consumer as well. And so your business is Venus Venus Comms, Combs. yeah. I started
0: that in 2004. What has surprised you about going into business?
1: Uh, everything. <laughs> I often thought, gee, if I'd known it was going to be this hard, I wouldn't have done it. Um
0: you needed that great <laughs> determination, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh,
1: there's been, you know, highs and lows and, and there's been times where when I felt like this is absolutely the place that I needed to be and, and was determined to be. And then there can be some really hard times and tough times when, you know, something that doesn't seem just or fair happens. Um, but that's life and you've got to keep keep moving forward. And you know, I've, I've learned a lot about my leadership skills, um, my strengths, my weaknesses and, you know, what I'd do different next time. Yeah. Are there any of those lessons that you'd be happy to share? Um, I, I guess I've learned that, you know, I've got some really good strengths in the way I think and the way I, um, you know, the way my entrepreneurial brain goes to work on solving problems. Um, I'm probably not the best people person. You know, that's not my skill um, to be out networking and schmoozing and, and um, you know, I guess creating um, the friendship side of a business relationship. And so I'm as I recognise that I think well there are people who do have a lot of skills in those areas so they're the people that I need to have around me and we need to all be okay with each other having our strengths and our weaknesses and not see them as um as deficits but see them as actual gifts so that's something that I've really embraced in the last couple of years. It's a massive shift isn't it and I think
0: um I don't i going to stereotype here, but I don't know whether it's women that take it on as well and feel like you you only are successful if you do all of it, when actually the the most intelligent thing is to outsource the bit that we're not that great at. Yes. <laughs> to get someone else who is exceptional at it and let them own it and run it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I guess in a business that was my size, it was difficult to get an HR person in and, and be able to justify them um, as a full-time salary. But I've learned now that, that we need to outsource that bit exactly and, and make sure that... Um, that, you know, that side of the business doesn't just fall over because it's not my strength.
0: So I've heard, um, and this was useful for me, so it might be useful for listeners, that in business there's usually one of three major roles. You're either the artist, so the idea creation um, can see direction, want to come up with the new things. You're either the entrepreneur, which is the networker, the salesperson, the one who's out there kind of positioning and pitching. Um, or you're the leader-manager. And in the early stages, you have to do all three. Yes. (laughs) But there's one that is often your default. Um, And the quicker that we can realise that, the quicker we can outsource the other two. Yeah. Um, And I'm very much, I get the sense you're the artist-creator, I'm very much in that pocket as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, And and that was a real revelation I know for me in, in our business to go okay what is it that I can do to help me do that because that's the best way I can serve the business yes and uh, and drive forward so the world of advertising is really unique it's something that um as an outsider I don't know a whole lot about I imagine it's pretty cutthroat pretty ruthless um but also that it has this huge creativity what's
1: the side of it that you love the most yeah, I absolutely love coming up with solutions for our clients. It's um, advertising is a wonderful mix of commercial and business with uh, creativity and influence, and it's those collisions that I love. I've done uh, a couple of tests where my left and right brain are pretty much forty nine fifty one. You know, I've got this equal measure, and I. I feel like this industry gives me the opportunity to, you know, use both parts of, of those, of the, the left and the right, the artistic and the analytical, and there's not many jobs that give you that opportunity. So, um, yeah, it's cutthroat. the The Mad Men series is, you know, that's our DNA of our industry. Um, it it is a, you know, they I think, advertising. Um, Professionals uh, sit one layer above car dealers, so it's not necessarily a revered, revered profession. But uh, it's it is a really um, rewarding and and yet intensive world. We do work long hours, and uh, you're only as good as the last ad ad that you did. Um, Clients can be fickle. Clients can have people that they really love working with. So if you know, if if your client leaves their role and a new client comes in, that can mean the end of the relationship that maybe you've held for years and years. So, I guess I found those things to be quite difficult um, with reconciling because even if you're doing a wonderful job, you know, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee you the business. So, you know, it, there's a lot of um, tension involved around, um, you know, where where your next piece of business is coming from as well. Imagine the confidence roller coaster can yes, go up absolutely. and down with that, yeah.
0: that as well. You're on a mission at the moment, I guess, to, to talk about gender. You describe it as gender intelligence, particularly in this marketing space and how mm. brands and businesses really need to put women at the forefront of their thinking. Um, that was a big part of your getting into your business. And yeah. um, last year, you put out a book called yes. Blind Spots. Congratulations. Thank you. What is it that you wish businesses knew in this space? What do you think they need to be doing differently around how they market to to women in particular?
1: Yeah, so I I call it a legacy model that we have and I'm actually studying a mini MBA at the moment so it's been really interesting for me to um, sort of sit above the curriculum and look at it from a gendered perspective and one thing that I've noticed and it's and it's almost you know a a micro example of what's going on from a macro perspective in our um, in our in our world is the legacy is from our forefathers every reference that I've been given in my you know from Harvard from Stanford from Oxford from you know all all of these professors and forefathers of marketing has been male. And so even though there might be a a larger number of women coming through marketing roles, they're still learning from the same doctrines and principles, which have been developed in the last hundred years of marketing as a profession being around. And it's all what I call male lens or traditional lens. So uh, it's not a criticism, it's an enlightenment that if we're only seeing through the male perspective, then we're missing a really big opportunity to reframe that and see through the female perspective. And what might that look like when we start to say, let's um, orient to our market, let's understand women are responsible for, you know, there's loose figures going around, but... It could be eight out of 10 household purchases, Ernst and Young, if you want to put an absolute figure on it, say 75% of discretionary spend within the next decade that women will be responsible for. Um, You probably know yourself, Minister for Education, Finance, Sport, (laughs) Tourism, Transport, the whole lot, you know, women, women sort of run the admin in the home. Um, they might delegate, but they're still, you know, orchestrating the way everything works. Mm. And yet uh, it, it would seem that we're not orienting the way we behave to the needs of women. So that to me is a massive opportunity for growth, for businesses, for brands to say, how does it look? How does it look when we see, imagine it through the perspective of women? Are you seeing that brands are, are taking that message on board? there's uh, I call there's a continuum and it starts with not thinking and there are a stack of brands who are in the not thinking and then there are some clever startups and um, and I guess disruptors in at the very top of the ladder out thinking and then there's everyone in between and what I see is a lot of um, stepping up from the not thinking is what I call pink thinking where people think that or businesses think that because they've got a diversity initiative of 2020 by 5050, or because they celebrate International Women's Day, or because they've got a couple of women on their board, that that's enough. And they are wonderful progressions to make, but it's not the same thing. Having a more equal workforce, or equal pay, or parental leave is not the same thing as understanding that women are the ones who are controlling. The consumer economy. And that's a different shift. So um, sometimes I see businesses are starting to rethink that proposition where they're starting to do the research and realise, actually, we've been selling cereal to men and women, thinking uh, quite rightly that both men and women consume cereal. But when we look at our numbers and we see that it's actually 75% of women choosing that cereal, that could make a difference to the way we start communicating with them.
0: It's... It's such an interesting, and even as I was doing some research before our conversation today, I think it's I, I cheer it, and there is a part of me that's on guard, um, and it's probably that continuum is probably a really nice way to think about. It. And I'm on guard for the ones who are down the lower end of the continuum, um, because when you, you you and you touched on it before, when you think of advertising, there is a level of um, influence of manipulation of kind of tapping into our probably in inmo- my innermost insecurities. And uh, I think you know, talking to brands about how they can market to to women. Some of the some of the reason I feel like that that on guard, and I'm sure you've come up against this mm-hmm. even with um, clients, is you know, are we pitching to that we're not pretty enough, we're not good enough, we're not uh, organised enough, we're not on top of it, we're too emotional, um, and this this product will will help solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I think, an important kind of conversation to have. Do you see, you know, some of that sitting in that, and I, I really like that sense of that continuum yeah. where brands are coming into these conversations?
1: I think what, what you're talking about is, um, is a hangover of that legacy model where perhaps the people involved in the discussion haven't been given a voice at that table when they're saying, you know, if it is a beauty brand, you know, well, we don't want to prey on women's insecurities about their looks. We don't want to tell them they're not attractive enough, or we don't want to tell them they should be doing more. and and you know really understanding and orienting to your market is to really understand where your customer is at and how the experience can be improved. and that that example in the beauty industry is exactly what Dove did when they did the real women campaign over a decade ago. Um, And they actually uh, found some researchers who were from universities, the London School of Economics, and they did deep research that hadn't been done before. And the beauty category had been around for, uh, for at least a century, and yet they kept serving up that same image of what women should look like until Dove went and said, well, is that really what women want? are we really asking the right questions in our research? Are we really understanding the pressures of modern women? And they, you know, that I guess they were the, um, the very first brand that did it on a global scale and that really resonated with the way women were feeling. And it was a, I guess it was a, a shift in our industry after that. And a decade on, they are starting to say, do, do deeper research and say, well, it's not good enough for Dove to um, say that we accept that women have um, a desire to be seen for who they really are if our brand Lynx, also a Unilever brand, is going to show women falling at the feet of men because they're wearing that deodorant. So, you know, whilst it at the time... Some people may have been sceptical, some people may have seen it as, you know, trying to pander to women in a different kind of way or manipulate them in a different kind of way. They actually are really owning that the um, impact of advertising on our society is massive and that they've got to own it um, in a um, a really sensitive and legitimate way all through their business and portfolio.
0: Across the board, I love those. Yeah. Hearing that kind of conversation is and how do we just not do it here, but how, are we, doing how we do the it. How we do it everywhere,
1: and and they found that of, of their advertising, only two percent of women were portrayed as intelligent, and only three oh percent of women gosh. were portrayed as CEOs. And you wow. think, well, fantastic <laughs> that you've unearthed this fact because yeah. this is where the change can happen. Yes. Yeah. That's
0: easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> we just we just up that by at least forty-seven percent. Absolutely. And we're, yeah. we're, we're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, huge, huge kind of opportunities to kind of get into some of those those conversations. Yeah, what uh, what else? What are you excited about in the future of um, not only advertising but in the future of kind of this gender intelligence across the board?
1: I, it's a a timely conversation um, in the wake of what happened to Eurydice Dixon in Melbourne here last week um raped and murdered and the messaging that we heard from our from our police force was that women need to keep themselves safe and obviously they do but for the first time we've seen uh the f- journalists actually really use this as an opportunity to talk about the way we're messaging and and so to hear them um he, to hear them create this shift in the way we are um, advising women to take care of themselves and actually recommend that men just don't, you know, that the bad guys just don't behave this way, I think shows um, a really big turning point in society and that we're asking men to take responsibility for their behaviour, not women to overcorrect for their lack of responsibility. And once you start to see that happen at the grassroots level out in society I think that has a big effect with um, the way we start to think about and what you know I'll call it the female lens is the way we start to address the legacy lens that we've been using and start to see that there is another way that we should be um, holding our perspective on this and that that you can get that from women and um, being given the voice, given the respect, given the um, you know the same playing field as as men, and so I see that you know as a really exciting um, point at, that we've arrived in our history, and that I hope it will speed up that um, that that destination of gender equality in the future.
0: It's exciting to watch. I mean, I, I'm almost getting a little bit teary watching, <laughs> thinking about it. But watching Lisa Wilkinson on the project only this week, um, you know, as being one of those kind of journalists who yes. who now um, who is using her platform to kind of counteract some of yeah. some of these conversations was incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um. And it taps at yeah what you're describing is there's a there's another conversation. It's not um, it's not accusing. It's not um. But it is just saying we need to do. It. We need to look at this differently. Yeah, there's another light we need to shine.
1: And that's where I moved. My agency was originally marketing to women, but I moved it to gender intelligence because it became acutely aware to me that um, gender is a shared issue. It's not a female issue. And I know a lot of um, businesses are putting women's leadership and women's development on their program, which is fantastic. But again, it assumes that women have all the role and responsibility in making that shift, but the shift really comes when the men within business and organisation allow women to stand, you know, equally side by side, and and that's where I went. Well, you know, I've I've come up against some um, defensive opposition on this subject. People mistaking me as as some kind of female activist when really what I'm about is creating equality, driving equality for both of our genders um, because that is what's going to make the better
0: world. Yeah, yeah. And at the moment, we need to talk about female conversations because they're not being had. And the moment that they're equal, that's equal playing field. Yeah. We can take it off the
1: table. Yeah, absolutely. But we need to get there. And and I guess, you know, the, the guys that champion this are the ones that are, um, you know, they're ready. They've arrived at that point. They know that this is the way to move forward. It's helping them um, as much as helping women make this all okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I want to come back to talking um,
0: about you, and in particular, I get the sense that you're a really ambitious person. You're a person, you've already described yourself as someone who, who will challenge the status quo, who will wrestle with what's going out there. Um, you got your own business, you've written a book, you're a speaker, you're uh, running workshops, there's plenty on the go. You've got two kids. Yeah. Um How do you balance, and say that word balance, but how do you navigate ambition and self-care? So looking after you in amongst all that kind of busyness.
1: Yeah, and and I think that the stumble on balance is a good one because it's something that I'm not very good at. And I've heard some people describe balance as being, you know, you have periods where you work really hard and then you have a couple of days off to re-energise. So I guess I do a bit of that. Um, I also stay super organised. So, you know, I get up early. I go to bed. I get up at five o'clock. I go to bed early with my kids so that, you know, I get to spend some quality time with them at the end of the day. Um, I, I make sure I exercise and eat. Sensibly, um, you know, it's it's moderation in everything, including moderation. Because sometimes I like to go and have a blowout as well, <laughs> and I think that's okay. And that's okay that you know, I I know that you know this is letting off steam or having a holiday because I've been working really hard. So I guess um, my advice to listeners is, you know, really tapping into reading your own needs and your own body and not denying that for too long. You know, there are periods in my life where I just, I worked seven days a week and I forgot to have a life. And And whilst that was great for um, my ambition, it didn't serve my personal world very well. And, you know, we it, it all comes out in the end and we all pay a price in the end. And, and you know, that eventually caught up with me. So... Um, I think, you know, really listening to that voice inside you that's guiding you and telling you where to go next and, and what you need, I think that's essential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely critical. Do you have a,
0: um, a marketing plan for yourself for the next five years?
1: I am working on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. It's, um, it's an interesting time in my industry. Consultants are buying up advertising agencies. Um, the uh, amount of women that are starting to be seen and recognised is unprecedented now, which which is fantastic. And I feel like there are lots of different directions I can go in. So what I'm doing now is, is working out which one is the, the best one for this next stage of my life. I've got um, school age kids and how will I be there for them and be there for me, be there for my business, be there for my employees. So yeah, I'm looking at it all now. Exciting, exciting
0: opportunities yeah. obviously laying ahead. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When I say that to you, what what comes to mind? What does it mean to live a standout life?
1: Uh, I think for me, it's um, it, it's standing up, and it's you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a challenger, and I I like to make sure that. Um, you know, we're always in the process of moving forward and uh, reassessing the way things are done. So, I guess you know, in a way, it makes me a bit of an outsider because I, you know, I'm standing out for being an outsider because I'm doing business unusual to the rest of my industry. Um, and sometimes that's a lonely place, but I know it's the thing that gets me up every morning. So I'm very committed to that
0: do what comes naturally to you, stand out in that space. I love it. It's been such a great uh, opportunity to chat with you, Beck.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity as well.